Welcome to yet another edition of the Midnight Blue and Gold Launchpad Podcast. I'm Rocket Ryan Brandt. Sitting to my right, you have to trust me on that, he really is sitting to my right, is <laughs> PJ Thriller. That's Pat Jillick, longtime sidekick and buddy. And of course, our executive producer, extraordinaire, director, whatever you want to call him, Kyle W. Smith. It's not really W, but here in Toledo. You know, just after Paul W. Smith, you got to call him Kyle W. Smith. What else would you call him, right, Pat? Exactly, and welcome to another edition of the Midnight Blue and Gold Launchpad. Tonight we have, or this afternoon, rather, we have a special guest uh, coming to you live from his living room. It is the UT play-by-play uh, voice of the Rockets, Brent Balbinot. Brent, thanks for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, so, you know, just, you know, I, I was thinking about this this morning. University of Toledo, as far as I remember, has only had really three play-by-play voices probably in the last 50 years. It's kind of like the Steelers, you know. They've only had three coaches since I've been around. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Kyle, Mark Beyer, and now Brent Balbinat, who's been there. What, is this your third year, Brent? Oh, this is going on season six. Oh, geez. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? Excuse me. And uh, so you came from Iowa where you uh, were a secondary play-by-play guy. Talk about your transition and what you did out in Iowa City and what brought you to Toledo. Oh, gosh. Uh, A Cliff Notes version? Uh, Well, you know, we have 30 minutes, so uh, whatever you you feel. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Might might feel 15. (laughs) I'll go less than that, I promise you. Your listeners don't want to hear, what was that old line in Airplane? Give us the details. And he goes, well, first the earth cooled, and then the dinosaurs (laughs) came. Well played. Uh, When I was at the University of Iowa, and again, I had bounced around um, about two or three years per station at some of the smaller kind of hometown stations around the state up to a regional station. And then I got married and moved to uh, Iowa City and really thought I was going to be out of sports uh, after that. I took a job at uh, one of the local radio stations, primarily in news. And what ended up happening was the sports director there ended up deciding he really wanted to make a living. He got married and got out of the industry almost altogether. So I bumped up Took a lot of the the local, the metro sports, if you will. And rough comparison, Iowa is a much smaller state population-wise, obviously, than Ohio. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of the population is in the eastern part of the state. And a lot of those high schools, as you guys have seen, obviously, in the Buckeye State, operate much like Division three colleges. I mean, the weight rooms, the facilities are incredible. So are the athletes. And it just happened to be that I worked across town from the University of Iowa. So I covered a lot of those press conferences, would attend the football and basketball games, even though I wasn't with the network at the time. And as my work progressed, the university officials heard me. And when some positions opened up, primarily women's basketball for play-by-play, and then football in the booth as a producer and fill-in announcer, and then baseball, I was able to get my foot in the door with the university through those angles and worked in uh, in that market and covered uh, various University of Iowa sports for over a decade. And when the Toledo job opened up, Mike O'Brien, who is from Iowa City, obviously still has family back in that area, was aware of my work. And long story short, interviewed, got the offer, took the job, and uh, we've been moving full speed ahead ever since. Well, that's awesome. I mean, it's always <clears throat> one of those deals where you know people don't realize 
how you move up in the ranks. You know, you you, you do some lower level play by play, even though it was in the Big Ten. This was your chance to be your the voice of a team of a Division One FBS program. You betcha. So now you're you're at Toledo for your sixth year. Um, compare covering or actually, you know, broadcasting a Mac school versus covering and, and broadcasting the Big Ten. What are the what are the pluses? What are the minuses? Um, number one, I wouldn't say there are any minuses. I really wouldn't. And I'm not saying that just to, uh, to, to stroke you guys with the Mac, the Mac, in my opinion, does not get anywhere near the national credit that it deserves in virtually every sport. Um, you know, it depends on which sport I'm calling a good example would be in football. I, I wasn't used to the speed of the game. Um, my very first broadcast, we were on the road at Arkansas State. Uh, I remember that night, and I remember barely having enough time to, after a play, look down at my chart, make a note. I look up, and the ball's being snapped again. And it took me the better part of a month, really that first year, to get used to the tempo. Uh, not just a pass-happy league, but really just a fast-moving league. I joked with Coach Candle. It was his first year as well as head coach. I went in to do a pregame interview with him that following Monday, and I said, hey, mix in a fullback, will you? Take at least 10 seconds off the play clock. And he looked at me, and he smirked, and he kind of laughed, and he goes, get used to 80 to 85 plays per game. So I will say this. The Mac moves, for the most part, across the board, top to bottom, faster than anything I had seen at the Big Ten. So it really me um, – the better part of that first year to, to get used to the tempo of the game. And I love it. That's what people want to see. Uh, you know, as far as basketball goes, proof is in the pudding. Uh, last year being a great example, regular season, mid-American conference champs. I think during my time here, two trips to the NIT, uh, one to the CIT, uh, again, would have, could have, should have Trey Fletcher hadn't gotten injured in the mm. semifinals uh, that season when he was Mac player of the year, I truly think Toledo would have beaten Buffalo and uh, made the NCAA tournament that year. But, you know, long story short, and I, I get the same message from a lot of the coaches that interview here that have taken the jobs, power five bones. When you walk across campus and you see UT's facilities, they are in many cases, just as good in some cases, even better than what I had seen over a decade in the Big Ten. It's just that, you know, the Glass Bowl isn't 90,000. It's 28,000. Uh, Savage Arena isn't 16,000. It's 7,000. And that's fine. That's right. what schools the size in the MAC need. You know, a good example would be going to Ball State. I love Worthen Arena. I think that is a tremendous basketball facility. But you get seven or 8,000. And it's still barely half full. I know they filled that thing when Bonzi was playing there, but yeah. I think without question, Toledo has the best facilities across the board. I know people will say I'm being biased, but that also goes up the ladder too with what administration does to support each of these programs. Uh, it, it's really tremendous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at the Fetterman Center, everything that uh, they've added here in the past decade and just how you know a lot of schools in the Big Ten didn't have an indoor facility when Toledo got there. So yeah, you're you're exactly right. And and as far as the other you know underrated factor goes for the MAC, you know a lot of people 
don't realize, so-called experts across the country <laughs> don't realize, you know, we have beaten teams from all five so-called Power Five conferences. And that's something that for a mid-major, and I hate that phrase as well, something doesn't happen too often. No. Look, all you have to do is take a look at various NFL rosters since we're talking football here. Just take a look at how many Toledo guys are, are dotting those rosters. And I can say the same thing. Again, I know the NBA is a, a little bit of a different beast, but basketball, both men's and women's, have uh, several graduates playing overseas right now, making some pretty good money and still still playing professionally. Um, baseball is a great example. You take a look at what Chris Myers did getting drafted uh, just spring. Um, Toledo doesn't uh, they don't have to bow their heads to anybody. So, Brent, you you spoke a little bit about Mike O'Brien bringing you in here, and now he comes upon his retirement. What are your thoughts on UT finding a replacement for him? After all he's done for this university and all that he's brought in, it's going to be a hard legacy for someone to to step into. Well, and again, I'm not particularly in the loop on this. Um, I can tell you this speaking from just my personal experience uh, with Mike O'Brien um, I, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. I would not be here if it weren't for Mike O'Brien. And I, I shook his hand and we chatted a little bit. It's amazing, too, the amount of respect that the man has. Uh, we just came off, as of the time we were recording this, the uh, Rocket Roundball Social, Last their uh, the men's basketball uh, fundraiser that unfortunately weren't able to have a year ago due to COVID. It was sold out. But when that event ended, there was a long line of people waiting at MOB's table to shake his hand, give him well wishes, uh, just a tremendous amount of respect. Uh, he has built something here and he never got, uh, I don't want to say lazy or satisfied, never sat on his haunches. Um, you know, he would ask me to go to lunch once or twice a year. He was always so respectful. Um, hands-on is a really good way to put it. He knows what's happening around him. I'm not going to say micromanaging because he lets his people do their jobs. But at the same time, he also knows what's going on around the campus and in each of the individual programs. Uh, just a tremendous leader, and I've got a world of respect for him. In your six years, and, in, in, you know, and again, I apologize. For some reason, it seems like three. But again, it was just time just, like I said, time flies when you're having fun. The days are long. The seasons are short, right? Exactly. So that first game you did, you said at Arkansas State, would have been 2016, first mm -hmm. game that uh, Jason Candle, uh, coming off the bowl game, that was his first game he coached, but first year as a head coach. Um, that was a uh, a fun year when you think about, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt, all the talent on that team. I mean, when you look back at it, uh, you know, probably five, six of those guys are now in the NFL from that yeah. first year. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, uh, yeah. So what your, your thoughts on uh, some of your favorite memories uh, of being the play-by-play -play guy here for the University of Toledo? Oh, gosh. We could do an entire show just on those. Um, <laughs> well, we only have 19 more minutes, so go ahead. No problem. <laughs> the floor is yours. I will give you a quick synopsis or encapsulate as one of my old bosses. Oh, I like that. Um, Write that down, um, Kyle. You know, that, that. That, first, uh, that first season was fun. And it was just kind of, you know, getting your feet wet, learning everything I could, trying to be a, a sponge as much as possible, soaking up everything I could about the players, the coaches. Obviously, I'd done a lot of studying on the various history, a lot of tradition, very rich tradition as far as uh, UT athletics is concerned. 
Um, that first season was kind of a whirlwind, uh, you know, tough night at uh, Ohio, tough night at Western Michigan, which I really thought was the only true team in the Mid-American Conference that year that was better than Toledo. And then going down to the bowl game, the next 2017, when they won it all and just kind of steamrolled uh, everybody, uh, that MAC championship game at Ford Field was loaded with midnight blue and gold fans. And we saw that one coming. It was kind of a, a legacy fulfilled. But I'll remember, oh, goodness, the the men's basketball team playing in the MAC championship against Buffalo and how packed that place was. I mean, just the atmosphere, the, the tremendous core base of fans that, um, that bleed midnight blue and gold. But then at the same time, just this recently, this last year, still kind of dealing with COVID and lots of protocols, but a really heads up move by coach Ryan Stuttle and uh, Bowling Green's administration to decide, Hey, we've got a great baseball venue in our, uh, in our area in our Metro, let's try and get on fifth third field. And they sold out. If they had allowed more than 3000 people there, I guarantee you that place would have been even more packed. And I'm really happy that it's going to be a tradition, regardless of whether UT's the home team or BG's the home team, that the first game in that series moving forward is going to be played uh, down at fifth third. So again, just all kinds of great stuff. I'm, I can sit here and brag about uh, coach Buchholz and the soccer team, Coach Motler in women's tennis, Cassie Akala, what she did uh, earlier this uh, this fall over at the University of Illinois, as far as that national tournament is concerned. Volleyball, uh, Coach Oliver. Matter of fact, I'm, as we're sitting here recording, I'm going to be moving over to Savage later this afternoon. They're going to be having a senior day. They are on the cusp of qualifying for the MAC postseason tournament for the first time in years. So there's a lot to be proud of. There are 16 different athletic programs on the campus for UT. I try and give all some type of coverage or credit because there's a lot of good stuff going on outside of the, the most popular venues. Absolutely. And uh, Ryan and I were both at that UTBG baseball game and it was a fantastic atmosphere. And I think you're right. It's great that uh, that's going to become a tradition. Uh, it's a beautiful venue for baseball and the fans in the area are, are thriving for something to do like that. And it was great, too, to hear you of Toledo played over the PA system. That was the first time in, <laughs> oh, my gosh, about a year since we had heard that fight song. And it was just – it gave you chills. It was just great to be back and uh, wearing our midnight blue and gold and, uh, and a beautiful night, too, as well. So Beautiful night. And I'm guessing how many establishments within at least a two-block area did you guys hit up? Did you start at the Blarney and then work your way around, or, or where did you end up that night? Where were you at the uh, Dirty Bird? We were at the okay. Dirty Bird and then uh, Home Slice Pizza. After. <laughs> so you didn't have too far to walk. No, we were within stumbling distance, so that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never had a beer before, Brent, and they talked me into one, and I thought, oh, wow. Pretty tasty. How'd it go down? You never forget your first, do you? That's right. I went down like a fat kid on a slide. <laughs> So moving into this week, we have the, the Bowling Green Falcons. Uh, hosting the Toledo Rockets. Uh, a little insight on your thoughts about the game coming up. Throw the records out the window, right? I mean, that's what they say about our tribal games. All you have to do is remember, and even though it's a difficult memory, I think it might serve as a motivator. Uh, the last trip that Toledo made down to Doit Perry, heavy, heavy favorites. And it didn't play out anything <laughs> like anyone. BG or UT fans would have anticipated that place is unique and they wrap both arms around it. It is a wind tunnel. Oh, when the sure. wind is whipping that open end uh, would be at the South end. 
makes for very interesting play. I don't know what the forecast looks like. I know it's supposed to be a little warmer, I think, that night, but we're still so far out in advance, it could change in the blink of an eye. But I can tell you this much. They are not taking, they being UT, not taking this one lightly, especially with what BG did in their final game. Remember, they've got an extra three days off. They uh, whipped up on Buffalo and then entered their... Correct. At Buffalo, put up the most points they have so far this season. And now they've got those extra three days off. It's not the true bye week, but they switched to action now. So uh, I'm anticipating a real grill to grill, basically last man standing type of ball game. For sure. I, and, and the thing that, that stands out to me is hopefully the offense and the defense for the Rockets can get on the same page this week coming up. Uh, last game, you know, Daquan Finn finally found his stride, starting to see the field a lot better, uh, threw for, you know, threw for 461 yards. That's Gradkowski numbers right there. <laughs> I, I just got to make him a against Pitt. <laughs> Yeah. Once at once every 15 years, we got to throw that number out there. Uh, and, and then, but the rocket defense gives up 52 to an Eastern team that, that really, I mean, talented as they were, it, it was it was kind of shocking to see our defense give up that many yards. Well, part of it was they had a short field that they had to defend on a couple of occasions. Uh, the muffed punt didn't help. Um, the 10-yard punt in the second uh, half didn't help. Um, time and time again, this group has had their back within the shadow of their own goalposts. I will say this, and again, it's easy as a fan to say, where did we lose that game? Uh, in this situation, I think to a certain degree, you do have to tip your cap to Eastern Michigan. Their game plan was designed to do what it did. And if their guys don't get yards after the catch, it's a four to five yard reception. You've got to, you've got to snap the ball at least three times to try and move the chains. And you're most likely punting probably at least 33 to maybe 66% of the time. What ended up happening was their wide receivers broke tackles. They got a lot of one-on-one matchups underneath, and in particular, Hassan Beydoun. Mm, yeah. And those four- to five-yard completions ended up being nine- to ten-yard completions with yards after the catch. And I know that that's being addressed uh, by the defensive coaching staff this week. You've got to be able to tackle in space because that's how Bowling Green picked up a ton of their yards continued their drives, scored their points against Bowling Green. You weren't going to see a lot of running in between the tackles last weekend for BG. But that little swing pass, that flare that flare pass, those are basically glorified runs. And whether you run for five or pass for five, it still counts for five. You win first or second down, and now your playbook is much more open. So I, I guarantee you tackling in space, while it's always um, a Prerequisite. It's always high on the list of things to do. It's going to be even addressed more this week in practice as they prepare for PG. Yeah. So far this season, it's been a, it's been a weird season. You know, we almost beat Notre Dame, come home, lose to Colorado State, but then all of a sudden the offense seems to be be clicking a little bit. Defense has been great all season long, and then you come up with a game like this. I, I don't know, if, you know, in my years of following Toledo, I started following when I was 12 years old back in 1979. I've, I've never seen a, a season quite like this. It was so up and down. I mean, your thoughts on on, on what's going on and in, in why you think the um, why you think it's been this kind of season? 
Guys, if I had that answer, I would have won the lottery every single week between, well, my first arrival here and now. Um, You'd be (laughs) working for me. I would own every radio station (laughs) in the market. I would be paying handsome compensation. You might even hire Pat and I. I mean, is it? Would it be like that? You guys could run some errands, right? Grubhub. <laughs> yeah, we, we could be errand boys, sure. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Why not? Why not? Um, look, I, I wish I had an answer for you. Look, sometimes I think it's easy to get caught up in statistics, too. I mean, we, we were sitting here asking what happened against uh, Eastern Michigan last ballgame. Toledo's scoring defense up until that night was allowing just 18.3 points per ballgame. Okay, that was number one in the conference. And guess what? It was top 20 in the nation. Yeah, it was 16th best yeah. Yeah, in all of NCAA. Sometimes the opposition just comes out with a good game plan. Sometimes you just have an off night. Um, I don't ever like to point to one or two particular plays and say that's where a game was won or lost because more often than not, you can point to a handful to maybe 10. Don't forget there was a touchdown taken off the board at the end of the first half, right? Because the ball was not spot uh, spotted. I should say in what we felt was an appropriate manner of time. If there had been one more second left on the game clock, that play stands. And we're talking about an ugly win versus a pretty loss. Um, you know, it, it's just so difficult, especially at this level. And I know this sounds maybe coach esque, so to speak, but I hear the coaches, they've got a big sign up over in, uh, in the practice building that says, trust the process. When you are dealing with 18, 19, 20 year olds, it's human nature, no matter how old you are, but especially at that age, when you're going through something, you're preparing a certain way, and then you don't see the results the natural inclination is, good, is to say, what do I have to change? What do I have to do differently? When quite often the answer is nothing. Stay with what we're teaching you. Stay with how we're telling you to practice and just do it a little bit better. Do it a little bit better, one or two more plays a game. And it's amazing what a difference that makes. Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, I, I think if they if they can keep them corralled and trust the process, hopefully we can finish out the season strong and uh, get ourselves into a bowl game if that's even absolutely. Possible. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Young young Brent Balbonat, <laughs> talk about what got you excited and what made you want to be a, an announcer. Who who are some of the guys you looked up to? I mean, I know when I was a kid, you listen to AM radio, you can pick it up all mm-hmm. over the country, or at least the, this half of the country. If you uh, had the right AM dial that you could uh, you could fiddle around with and get it to tune in, boy, guys, you are talking throwback because I don't know what the average age of your listenership is, but anybody under what probably say the age of forty, do they remember what a handheld transistor radio looked like, how it functioned? <laughs> Nowadays, probably everybody's not. got their nose buried in their smartphone, right? That's the new transistor radio. You know, you can sleep with your smartphone underneath your pillow at night. Um, <laughs> that's one. That it's it's different. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily good or bad, but it is different how the fans, how the average person consumes uh, our product now. And it used to be you had to have a radio around. You used to make have to be sure that you were within, uh, obviously, transmission range of the station or a station that you were listening to that that had the game or the event that you you wanted to hear. Otherwise, you were you know what out of luck. Nowadays. You can get this app. You can get that app, this platform. 
And you can take it anywhere you want. You can sync your phone up your car radio, uh, for crying out loud. So in such a deep dive to how we broadcast, in addition to how we consume the broadcast. And it's what I try and tell a lot of the younger student broadcasters that they've kind of sent my way to help out. Uh, you know, I didn't have that opportunity. You guys joked around, I think, to start this podcast, cutting your teeth at the student radio station, right? Mm -hmm. That was what I had. That was really my only outlet unless I wanted to drive 30 miles up the, the road to intern at a station or a, a radio station or a TV station. And even then, you had to take your turn in the barrel. You weren't getting on the air immediately. You were having right. to do a lot of, of the blue-collar grunt work. Yep. Prove, earn that you um, you were worthy of some small airtime. Nowadays, you want to see or listen to, as I mentioned earlier, 16 programs here at the University of Toledo. You want to see or listen to, to Rocket Soccer? That's being broadcast somewhere. You want to listen to Northern Iowa, not Iowa or Iowa State, but Northern Iowa Wrestling? It's being broadcast on a platform somewhere. So you've got all these opportunities. And it just, to me, it's it's one of those situations where I don't think, not to sound like you know everybody's grandfather, that a lot of these <laughs> kids that are cutting their teeth now, they just don't understand what a broad, deep, and tremendous opportunity, or more specifically opportunities, plural, that they have to do this. But at the same time, as I tell a lot of the uh, the youngsters that kind of have worked for me, hey, what do I need to do to get my foot in the door? You're not going to start in Bristol. Hey, you aren't going to be on Sports Center for your first job. Matter of fact, most of you won't even sniff it. But good example, my first broadcast, the nearest paved road on a high school football Friday night in the middle of the Iowa cornfields was two miles away. Wow. Okay? And you could Jeez. see the, the gravel dust uh, tail from every parent, every fan's car uh, just outside of Iowa, the Downing Field. And I try and tell these young broadcasters, can you treat that with the same respect, the same preparation that you would if you were going to call the Super Bowl? Because those kids deserve it. Those coaches deserve it. The fans that will be tuning in to you deserve it. And in all honesty, the industry demands it. Do you respect the industry enough to give those types of events your best? If you can do that in the middle of the cornfields with the nearest paved road miles away, then yeah, you have a chance, no guarantees, but you have a chance to go somewhere and arc your career up the ladder. Um, it's tough, but it's, uh, there's a lot of great perks and it's very enjoyable uh, along the way. That's one thing I also try and tell them. Don't get lost in where your next job is going to be. Focus on the one you have right now and make sure you're doing that the best. The industry and the players, the athletes, the coaches that you cover also deserve that. That's exactly right. So who, who were your idols when you were uh, a young whippersnapper coming up? <laughs> the, uh, the irony is I, I double majored when I was uh, going to college, uh, political science and broadcasting. And I took my LSATs. I really thought I was going to go to law school. And where, where was college? University of Iowa. Okay, you were, wow, that's cool. You came up and had a, a dream job. Uh, to a certain degree, I had to hop around. I, I didn't yeah. move straight across town. Like I said, I spent plenty of times, uh, well, even though it might've been 30 minutes away in a small town, 
Iowa City seemed like it might as well have been New York at that time. Um, sure. You know, just long ways in the distance. But I originally thought I was going to go into law. My father at the time had made some interesting career moves and uh, was in the Navy. And I had the opportunity, took my ASVABs, uh, could have gone out and um, studied law in the, the military. The United States government would have paid for it. But for every year that they would have paid for my law school at the University of Iowa, I had to give a year back in service. Okay, fair enough. Um, after graduation, military law is not the same as civilian law. So I would have had to study at least another year, possibly two, to um, to get my qualifications there that I needed. And that ends up being eight, 10 years. And I just decided I did not want to go that route. So I ended up using my communications degree. And I thought, okay, hung around sports enough, did a lot of work with the university uh, station as a student, actually was asked to walk on one of the programs in uh, 1987 was asked to walk off that same program in 1988. So it was a good way for me to stay around. And I thought, you know what, let's try broadcasting. And it ended up being the path I chose. But like I said, same advice I'd give to any youngster listening right now, do not expect to start at the top. Do not covet starting at the top at the expense of what you're doing and where you currently are. And I worked, you know, two years in a small countywide station in northern uh, East Iowa. Then I worked two years at a regional station in north central Iowa. Got completely out of it, like I'd mentioned after I got married, and worked, granted, across town from the university, but was completely in the news. And things just, I don't want to say they just worked out, because I always kept as sharp as I could. Good Lord gave me a couple of doors that he opened up, and I was able to get through them. But uh, that's how my career played out. Others can have a completely different story. Um, real quick, I know you asked to the broadcasters where that I listen to. It's mm-hmm. in the Midwest, Harry Carey, Jack Buck. I kind of figured. Harwell. Yep. And then Vin Scully. Um, to my, in my opinion, the greatest play-by-play announcer, no matter what the sport. The guy was a poet laureate. The game just dripped off his tongue like honey. And um, he's a guy that I, I would take some advice. I'd always write down a couple of pieces of advice that he'd give me. And um, I set them next to, to my broadcast equipment in the booth to make sure I always, okay, do this at such and such a time. Remember to do this at such and such a time. So yeah, those guys were, they were just a different generation and man, were they something. Oh, you're, you're not, you're not kidding with those guys. Uh, That's quite an elite group. And I think they influenced all of us. Exactly. One way or another, they influenced all of us. Well, Brent, I think I think that's all I have. Anybody else? Anyone else want to grill Brent? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to want to say thanks for joining us and uh, taking some time out on a Saturday afternoon to to uh, reach out and uh, be our guest. Wish you the best of luck in your broadcast on Wednesday at seven o'clock at the Doit. Bundle up, so hopefully it's not too windy. Exactly. We'll be Good in luck. the booth, but. Here's to keeping that trophy in the UT display case for another year. Go Rockets. Exactly. Go Rockets. Thank you, Brent. On behalf of my sidekick and longtime buddy, Pat Jillick, engineer producer Kyle W. Smith, I'm Ryan Brandt. Rocket Ryan saying go Rockets and have a great weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye.